It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 415 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Patches and Nerfs. It is June 16, 2023, and this is Jed. I'm going to start off with a couple things here from Overwatch, or at least one thing here from Overwatch. They are doing a Pride event in Overwatch 2, and they just added the Pride event for Poland and Romania. So if you are an Overwatch 2 player in either of those countries, you can access the Pride stuff that's going on in here. Now, I have no idea if you have to pay for this, or if you get it through like a Battle Pass system, or what, because I haven't played Overwatch 2 or Overwatch 1, but at the very least, they are making it accessible for two more countries to at least, you know, participate in the Pride event if they'd like to, and I think that's really cool. In addition, there's an article from Polygon that says, Overwatch 2 story missions will cost $15 for, quote, permanent access, and quote, Blizzard says, Season 6 of Overwatch 2 looks like its biggest yet. This is written by Michael McWhirter on June 13. Overwatch 2's new Season 5 starts Tuesday, June 13, which we've already passed, bringing with it a vaguely Dungeons & Dragons-esque theme to the Hero Shooter Battle Pass and the return of the Summer Games event. The season after that, Season 6 of Overwatch 2, promises to be much bigger, bringing the long-awaited story missions first promised back in 2019 to the game. On Monday, Blizzard outlined its plans for pricing for Overwatch 2 story missions, which will be part of a season called Invasion. Story missions which are separate from the recently cancelled hero missions in Overwatch 2 will cost $15 for quote permanent access end quote Blizzard says that will grant access to three missions set in Rio de Janeiro, Toronto and Gothenburg an unreleased map location. Blizzard plans to sell Overwatch 2 Invasion story missions access as part of a bundle that also includes 1,000 Overwatch coins, the game premium currency, and a new Sojourn legendary skin. That bundle will also include access to Sojourn as a hero for players who don't already have her. Now, what's this going to cost players? Well, here it is. For players who prefer to to pay more, other than the $15 thing, there's a separate bundle, the Overwatch 2 Ultimate Invasion Bubble, which bundle, sorry, which costs $40. That includes the Basic Invasion Bundle, plus the Null Sector Premium Battle Pass with 20 Battle Pass level skips, and an additional 1,000 Overwatch coins for a total of 2,000 Overwatch coins, two additional Legendary skins for Cassidy and Kiriko. So that's what they're offering, that's what it costs, it's up to you if that's something that you want to purchase or not. You will definitely have to pay for those bundles if if you're gonna get them. So if you don't, I have no idea what happens to you, but that's that's a thing. The FTC is kind of mad about the Microsoft Activision merger, and they've, uh, well, here's an article from CNBC titled, FTC Files to Block Microsoft Activision as Deadline Approaches. 
Pretty succinct title. This is written by Jordan Novet and Lauren Feiner. The Federal Trade Commission on Monday applied for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction seeking to block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard before the deal's July 18 deadline. CNBC reported on the FTC's plans earlier in the day. The FTC said it fears that should Microsoft be allowed to buy Activision, Microsoft would have the power to, quote, withhold or degrade, end quote, Activision's gaming products through price, game quality, experience on competitors, offerings, or, quote, withholding content from competitors entirely. In other words, the FTC is worried that Microsoft would withhold popular games from Activision Blizzard's library from launching on other game consoles like those sold by Sony. And I'm going to break into this here to say it sounds like the uh, FTC has just swallowed whole everything Sony has said about the merger and how bad it would be for them and other gaming consoles. So I'm not too sure this is going to work out. It's possible that whatever judge they get is going to say, no, you can't, no, sorry, you have to let the merger go through, or oh no, you better not let the merger go through. I don't know. But I'll read you a little bit more here. It could charge more for games that launch on other consoles. Call of Duty is one title that has come up, and while it's currently available across platforms and Microsoft has promised to continue to sell that series of games broadly, regulators fear that Microsoft could have the power to hold those or similarly popular future titles for Xbox, taking buyers away from Sony and other console makers. That's pretty much all you need to know. There's a little bit more in here. The injunction request comes as the deadline for the deal was coming down to the wire, both the FTC's hearing date and that of an appeal to the decision by the Competitions and Markets Authority in the UK to block the deal are to occur after the party's deadline of July 18. Meanwhile, the European Commission regulators had cleared the acquisition. So that's from CNBC, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, has a little bit in here. This one was written by, let's see, who wrote this one? Sarah E. Needleman and Dave Michaels. The article is titled on the Wall Street Journal, FTC Seeks Injunction to Stop Microsoft from Closing Activision Deal. Here's a couple of paragraphs. The FTC sought an injunction in San Francisco federal court, citing recent media reports that said Microsoft was considering closing the deal despite legal opposition in the U.S. and U.K. A judge would need to agree to issue the injunction, likely after a hearing at which the FTC would present evidence for why the deal is illegal. Quote, We welcome the opportunity to present our case in federal court, said Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith in a statement following earlier reports of the FTC's plans. We believe accelerating the legal process in the U.S. will ultimately bring more choice and competition to the market. In December, the FTC sued to block the deal, saying it would be illegal because it would give Microsoft the ability to control how consumers beyond users of its own Xbox consoles and subscription services access Activision games. The company could raise prices for people who don't use Microsoft's hardware to access games or even cut off access entirely, the FTC argued. The FTC filed that suit in its in-house court and at the time didn't seek an emergency order to stop the deal because the closing date was more than seven months away. A trial in the FTC's in-house court is scheduled for early August but could take months after the trial for an administrative law judge to issue a decision. For now, the two cases will proceed in parallel. The FTC said in its complaint 
that an injunction is critical because allowing the acquisition to close before the August hearing would enable Microsoft to start altering Activision's operations and business plans, access the company's sensitive information, eliminate key Activision personnel, change its game development efforts, and enter into new contractual relationships on behalf of Activision. It is my understanding that Microsoft has uh, acquired other gaming studios in the past. I don't know what exactly is going on there. I've, I vaguely remember hearing that Microsoft was like, yeah, have a union. That's great. But who knows, right? Who knows? So that's a little bit from the Wall Street Journal article. There's another one from Video Games Chronicle. The FTC is filing an injunction to block Microsoft Ac- Microsoft's Activision acquisition written by Tom Ivan. Let's see if I can find the relevant part here. I'll read you the update. They have the update in here. It takes up a big chunk of their article. The FTC has filed a complaint with the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California seeking a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction. Quote, both a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction are necessary because Microsoft and Activision have represented that they may consummate the proposed acquisition at any time, and then there's a bracket with the word redacted in there, without any further notice to the commission, the FTC said in its court filing, quote, a preliminary injunction is necessary to maintain the status quo and prevent interim harm to competition during the pendency of the FTC's administrative proceeding to determine whether the proposed acquisition violates U.S. antitrust law. A temporary restraining order is necessary to maintain the status quo while this court decides whether to grant the requested preliminary injunction. Responding to the move, Microsoft President Brad Smith said in a statement, quote, Today's action by the FTC to file suit in our Activision case in federal court should accelerate the decision-making process. This benefits everyone. Quote, we always prefer constructive and amicable paths with governments, but we have confidence in our case and look forward to presenting it. So that's that one. Then we have um, kind of a silly article. It is from Polygon. No, Phil Spencer shirt isn't teasing a big game reboot yet. The CEO of Microsoft Gaming wouldn't mind a reboot of ID's classic first-person shooter. He's wearing a shirt with the Hexen logo on it, like the, the box art for Hexen. Basically, that's all it is. Um, and it says, Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox and the CEO of Microsoft Gaming, has once again pandered to conspiracy-minded video game fans with a cheeky fashion choice to close the Xbox Games Showcase stream. Spencer wore a black t-shirt with the print of the box art for Hexen, a long dormant series that was co-published in the 1990s by ID Software and created by Activision developer Raven Software. Xbox acquired ID Software as part of its Bethesda acquisition, which would acquire Raven Software if the planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard goes through, clearing the runway for Hexen's return. Quote, That wasn't me trying to pre-announce it, Spencer told Polygon in an interview following the stream. Quote, but it was me recognizing the importance of some of the games in our portfolio. There's more to this article if you want to check it out later. There's a press release here from uh, on the investor.activision.com website titled Diablo 4 crosses $666 million sell-through within five days of launch, setting new Blizzard all-time record. Um, Here's a few 
pieces from this. Diablo 4 had the best-selling opening in Blizzard's history, crossing an auspicious $666 million in global sell-through in the first five days following its June launch. The latest installment for the Diablo series and Blizzard's fastest-selling game ever is the box office equivalent of the biggest opening week of the year. The Heroes of Sanctuary, the world in which Diablo is set, have already played more than 276 million hours, or more than 30,000 years. Quote, On behalf of Blizzard, we want to thank the millions of players around the world who are immersing themselves in Diablo 4, said Mike Ybarra, president of Blizzard Entertainment. Quote, Diablo 4 is a result of our incredible teams working together to craft and support genre-defining games, build legendary worlds, and inspire memories that will last a lifetime. We're humbled by the response, proud of the team, and remain committed to listening to our players and ensuring Diablo continues to exceed expectations for years to come. So what are the players doing with all this time spent in Diablo 4? 276 billion demons killed since early access, nearly 35 times the global population. Players have been vanquished over 316 million times. Over 5 million of those vanquishings were at the hands of the Butcher. But they're not falling alone. Players have created a party with friends over 166 million times. 163 players have made it to the maximum level in hardcore mode where deaths are permanent. Goes on from there a little bit. It's got, like, all of the legalese at the bottom of this, too, but that's kind of the main idea here. And again, as I always say, everything I talk about in this episode can be found on the Shattered Soulstone website when the show goes live. And if you missed something or you just wanted to hear it again, you can do that. It'll be there, and all of this stuff will be there, too. There is an official Diablo 4 patch notes page put out by Blizzard Entertainment, and it's got some... Well, patch notes here, actually. They started doing this on June 2nd. Some of the things have been um, altered a bit. There's a stability thing. It was the first thing they did on June 2nd. Also, on uh, this is just in general. Uh, miscellaneous class changes, druid companions, and necromancer minions. Maximum damage over time taken per damage instance reduced from 2% to 1% of maximum life. Paragon board changes, um, rare nodes, player attack speed nodes reduced by 50%. Glyphs, all glyph bonus scaling has been reduced by 34% except for the following. The ones that are the exception include critical strike damage glyphs bonus reduced by 66%, vulnerable glyphs bonus reduced by 66%, glyphs bonus to rare nodes reduced by 50%, glyphs bonus to magic nodes reduced by 40%, glyph notice, glyphs bonus to cold slash fire slash lightning slash non-physical slash physical nodes reduced by 62.5%. What's left to do? They also significantly reduce the spawn rate of treasure goblins within PvP zones. Okay, that kind of makes sense, I think. Um, there's some bug fixes. Fix the name for the light bearer mount. The go to shop button from the wardrobe will now properly open the shop. Fix an issue where if a sorcerer uses deep freeze and is affected by another effect that would freeze them, it causes them to be permanently stunned. <laughs> Um, some other stuff in there as well. On June 5th, they have sort of an explanation for themselves. 
So here's a bit from that. We made, we've made some balance adjustments to classes and want to provide our reasoning behind them. Overall, we're quite happy with the performance of our classes, but we know there's always room for improvement. Our goal behind these changes is to create a better balanced and enjoyable experience across the board. Our updates fall into three categories. One, we want players to both feel and be truly powerful. Some class builds and synergies are outside of our bounds for what is reasonable for the health of the game, so we are reducing their effectiveness. As an example, we generally want to avoid creating situations where players can survive unreasonably high amounts of damage for long periods of time because it too greatly warps our vision for how combat should be in Diablo 4. Some skills and builds are not as effective as we would like, so we're pushing out some buffs to increase their strength. Paragon Glyphs are currently providing too much player power, so we're reducing their overall effectiveness. So that's kind of a big deal. That's where I think a lot of the nerfing started, was right around there. They're fixing things for certain machines and stuff like that. Some of this is a little vague. But you can check that out if you want to. If you are having trouble in the game and figure out that your character has been nerfed, maybe it'll tell you something else. But if you can't find it there, there's also the Diablo 4 forums on Blizzard.com, US forums specifically. And there's a whole lot of Pez Radar in here just mentioning things that they're doing. And it's a lot. It's a whole lot. They started doing this um, a while ago, I'm going to say. Like June 4th or June 3rd, it looks like. Some of these have been altered. There's the Stolen Artifice quest, and on June 4th, uh, Pez Radar wrote this issue has been resolved in the latest hotfix, and some other one, you know, both, there's like two of those for some reason. One is for console, and one is for PC, so I guess that makes sense. And so if you're trying to do that one, the Stolen Artifice quest, it's probably fixed for you by now, I would hope, because that was back on June 4, and today's the 16th, so I'm hoping that worked out. But there's just a whole bunch of stuff in here if you wanted to you know, see what's what's what. The level 100 pinnacle challenge was temporarily disabled. They wanted to resolve some things in that, and then they'll update when it's re-enabled. That was on June 5th. And they fixed it, and it was re-enabled on June 8th, so you can do that one again if you if you want to try that. They've temporarily disabled the Edge Masters aspect and the aspect of Berserk ripping from the game while the team works to resolve some issues with these specific affixes. Teams that, items that currently are using these affixes will still be usable but will no longer proc until they have been re-enabled. That's gotta be a barb thing right there. So that's kind of mm -hmm, just nerfing the barb again. I started playing a rogue. I might work with that better, you know, than what they're doing here. And there's just a whole bunch in here. On the ninth, adding of Berserk Ripping aspect to the block list, we will have a fix in the future and communicate when this is removed. Um, for PCs and consoles both, some downloads happened in here. The latest one seems to be June 15. Uh, 1.0.2 bug fixes resolved in an issue where players in World 3 World Tier 3 and World Tier 4 could invite others to the party that were not eligible for those higher tiers, fixed an issue where all the World Tiers would display as unlocked when players have not met the requirements, and there's further stability issues, some descriptions about things, further adjustments to elite monster density in dungeons, developers note, we are standardizing the density of elite monsters that spawn in dungeons to ensure that no particular dungeon is clearly more efficient to run through than others. I think that's going to take some of the fun away for people who really like doing dungeons, but this is what they're doing. So if you want to know what's happening next, 
it'll be in the show notes, but you can also just you know look it up on either of those two sites that I just talked about. Neil David Carter on Twitter. He is the cinematic director too for Diablo 4 at Blizzard Entertainment, and he has posted some music. He wrote, loved working with some of these inspiring folks behind the Diablo 4 music. I can listen to Kiovestad, Norell's theme, and Legacy of the Haradrim on loop. The music director is Derek M. Duke. The composers are Ted Reedy, Leo Kaliski, Ryan Amon, and Neil Acree. The production was Moneypenny007 and Caro Hernandez. And there is a link to Spotify in here if you want to listen to this original soundtrack. It, of course, has Lilith's face on it. And you can just listen to that while you're playing something or going about your day. Kotaku has kind of a snarky article here in reference to the classes that got nerfed. Diablo 4's first patch heavily weakens four out of its five classes. Yes, that's what it was, written by Levi Winslow. So here's a piece from that article. Diablo 4 officially lands on June 6th. This was written on June 5th. Some players have already had early access. We know this stuff. The patch available now for all platforms does many of the usual things you'd expect, addressing game crashes and stability issues, changing the spawn rate of certain monsters like the money bag holding treasure goblins, which will now appear less often in PvP areas, and fixing text problems. But the main thing the update does is tweak all five character classes, specifically nerfing four to make them a bit crummier while buffing necromancers substantially. To the barbarian druid rogue and sorcerer players out there y'all are a little weaker now ouch and it says what you gonna do when the diablo 4 nerfs come for you and it started with the barbarian the barbarian for example has been hit with some of the worst nerfs a few of its damage dealing skills like aspect of the dire whirlwind and challenging shout have had their power reduced the same story is true of the druid which had its damage dealing and lucky hit chance abilities similarly reduced Rogue and Sorcerer players have also been slammed with many of the Rogue's cooldown, reducing skills getting nerfed, and the Sorcerer's teleport ability, a move that turns you into a fast-moving ball of lightning, seeing its damage reduction duration reduced. There are some pretty painful... These are some pretty painful nerfs. It gets kind of worse for the Barbs and Sources in particular. Although the Druid and Rogue saw quite a few nerfs, at least a few of their abilities, the Druid's Lightning Storm and the Rogue's Rapid Fire saw their damage increased, Unfortunately, it's bad for barbarians and sorcerers who have had many of their cooldown reducing skills defanged so that their cooldowns, such as the barb's bold chieftain aspect and the source's arc lash, will now be longer. By and by and large, this update makes four of Diablo 4's five classes pack considerably less of a punch than before. And there's more details about what was nerfed on um, June 5th or June 4th. PC... Gamer has an article called Killable Horse Found. This innocent Diablo 4 stallion is the final target for its worst achievement, written by Rick Stanton, published five days ago. Diablo 4 has been in the wild for over a week now, and one of its occasional delights is the wild. The glimpses of fauna amidst the hell beasts, the cute little bunnies out snuffling for food as the battle twixt good and evil unfolds across them. Inevitably, as you and the forces of hell are splashing AoEs across Sanctuary, there is collateral damage. And while you never weep a tear for the thousands of ghouls slaughtered, seeing the corpse of a fluffy thing caught in the crossfire surely melts even a demon hunter's heart. Which I should point out, there is no demon hunter class in Diablo 4, but I get where they're going with this. 
For reasons best known to itself, Blizzard decided this was just the job for what I'm going to call the game's worst achievement, Endangered Species. The achievement gives a list of various wildlife in the game that players have to work their way through, and presented with such instructions, the deadliest min-maxers in Sanctuary set out to hunt down innocent wildlife that has nothing to do with heaven or hell. Diablo 4 launched on June 6th, and the only thing we can say for our animal friends is they had a good run. Over the first few days, sheep, roosters, goats, and donkeys were shanked by the truckload, but a few hardy animals managed to avoid detection. This points at uh, a subreddit that was probably live at the time this article was written, which was five days ago. Um, it is my understanding that things are going very badly on Reddit, and a lot of the subreddits have gone dark. Uh, there's been some indication that perhaps posts that had been deleted have magically returned, so maybe don't go to, to Reddit right now. <laughs> it's not a good place considering what's happened, and if you want to know more about that, I'll let you look it up for yourself. But that's basically this article here. The news.blizzard.com website has two stories about Diablo 4. Uh, they titled this Diablo 4 Short Stories, Witness and the Toll of Darkness and Light. This was posted on June 9. The first one is Witness by Alma Katsu, and it is about the character that you see if you access the shop. The one with the cards next to her, that's that's who this is about and it's a story where someone uh, appears in her parlor and seems to be asking for things and it goes into her backstory as well so that's kind of neat there's a second one that i haven't got around to reading yet but i'll probably do later tonight it's called the toll of darkness and light written by jonathan mayberry and i'll give you a little bit of description on that one since they provided about a paragraph Tahal tells the tale of Cloth Una, the Golden One, who rode from town to town visiting death and retribution upon the Zakarum, claiming their church bells to forge his magnificent armor. The town of Saint's Calling is nearly bereft of its defenders, but one remains, a young paladin in training, in whom Cloth Una hears an echo of the brother he rides to avenge. So, I haven't read that one yet, but I'm going to. I love when they make stories about characters that aren't the player basically you know um this sort of thing and you get to know a little bit more about some of the characters in diablo 4 and just lore in general is interesting so i kind of dig this stuff Another article from PC Gamer, also published five days ago, this one by Robin Valentine, is titled, Diablo 4 is desperate to not be Diablo 3, but too timid to move past it. Here's a little bit from this article. Blizzard used to be a studio that defined games. With StarCraft, it set the standard for the competitive RTS. With World of Warcraft, it made the MMO mainstream. And with Diablo, it reimagined what an RPG could be. I don't see any of that in Blizzard, uh, that Blizzard in Diablo Four, the long-awaited sequel isn't just iterative, it's timid. When I said that the Diablo 4 beta made me feel like Blizzard hasn't learned anything about action RPG combat in the 11 years since Diablo 3, some in the comments told me I was judging the game too early. But the more I play of the full release, the more things I see that confirm that feeling. Diablo 4 is desperate to not be Diablo 3, but it's so hesitant to do anything new that it can't move past either. 
When Diablo 3 came out, it made a lot of big changes to the formula. The combat was bigger, faster, and flashier. The art style was lighter and more colorful, with a more mythic narrative to match. The classes were different, character building was streamlined, and unless you knew to change a particular option, full of awkward hand-holding, and most controversially of all, it had a real money auction house where you could buy and sell in-game items. While the game was successful and largely well-received and improved substantially over its lifetime thanks to regular updates, including including one that ditched that auction house. A lot of its choices rankled with the vocal proportion of the community. To this day, many fans online refer to it with derision, a go-to example of a disastrous sequel. Goes on from here, says a little more. Part of uh, this has a a topic line called World Weary. So I'll read you a little bit of that. When you stop and look at what in Diablo 4 is genuinely new, the answer is a grab bag of games industry buzzwords. It's open world. It's an MMO. It's live service. None of this is substance. It's pure bloat, says the writer. The massive open world only makes getting around slow and dull, and its biomes feel bland and overstretched. Some of the more explicitly horrific Geiger-esque dungeons show off a visual flair and creativity that perhaps could have been present throughout the game if it didn't need to operate at such a scale. Meanwhile, seeing other players running around adds precious little other than jank. Why, in a game, most people play single-player do we have lag? No pausing, and enemies that respawn by popping into existence right in front of your face. Okay, I'm going to stop there, because I have that happen, and it annoys me to no end. If I'm fighting the, what I guess used to be called the Khazra, the goat people with, like, you know, throwing pikes at you or whatever... I usually do okay, but when I'm walking through like one of the snowy areas and all of a sudden this ring of bone appears around you and all of these skeletons are in there, it's like, this is impossible. That's really not fun for me, that part. I do a little better, like I said, with these Khazra, but it's just, you know, that's that's a point right there, that the respawn popping up in front of your face, that's a thing that I don't think most players like. This writer continued, uh, limp world events that most of the time you end up doing alone anyway, and world bosses that so far have been a joyless slog aren't much of a trade-off for those annoyances. It goes on from there if you'd like to hear the rest of the article, but I think you get the point. There's another article, and this one is from Esquire. It is written by Adam Morgan. It was published on June 12. The title is To Hell and Back Inside the Tumultuous Making of Diablo 4. The blurb says, How did one of the year's best video games go from a crisis to a comeback story? More than two dozen current and former Blizzard employees told us the unbelievable tale. So, this is extremely long article compared to what I've been reading you. And it goes, like, from the beginning all the way back, you know, all the way up. So I'll read you a little bit of this, and, you know, just to give you an example of what this article is, and you can decide later if you want to pick it up and read the whole thing. Four years ago, on the day after Halloween, the Day of the Dead, thousands of people huddled in the dark waiting for their first glimpse at Diablo 4 in the Anaheim Convention Center. The stakes were extremely high. If you were a certain kind of geek in the late 90s, the original Diablo was a pop culture phenomenon, set in a dark fantasy world with angels and demons. It was also the grandfather of action role-playing games like Elden Ring and Assassin's Creed. 
But, the, it, but that November in 2019, more than seven years had passed since the release of Diablo 3. It had sold more than 200 mil, sorry, 20 million copies to become the fourth best-selling PC game of all time, more than Doom, Myst, Dark Souls, and the first two Diablo games combined, and about the same number of copies of Elden Ring would ship across all platforms in its first year. Offstage in Anaheim, the game's art director, John Muller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, I hope I pronounced that right. Watched as the stunning Hollywood quality cinemat reveal cinematic for Diablo 4 began playing for the crowd, but a few seconds later, unexpectedly, the room went dark again. Quote, you could hear the audio, but the screen was gone, Muller said. Literally, I was dying. I thought this is a heart attack, and what happened next was worse. It just turned into window screens going into window screens. Muller said his heart recovered when he learned it was only the viewers in Hall D who had experienced a blackout, and that the screen recovered in less than 30 seconds. Quote, I was in a different hall, so we had no idea it had happened, said another member of the Diablo 4 team. Everyone around me was crying. I was also crying, said whoever this member of the Diablo team was. Despite the glitch, Diablo 4's debut was a massive success. Even fans who were disappointed with Diablo 3's brighter, colorful aesthetics were excited to explore a darker, more gothic world, to end to encounter the franchise's most fascinating character yet, the demonic queen Lilith. They do keep calling her a queen. I'm not sure why. She's not one of the prime evils. She's not one of the lesser evils. I don't I don't know where this is coming from, but okay, sure. It goes on from here. Muller tells me this story, says the writer, in a conference room at Blizzard's headquarters in Irvine, California, about halfway between Disneyland and Laguna Beach, where I've come to meet some of the people who made Diablo 4. Just beyond the door, all the lights are off, because according to a developer on the team, quote, artists hate light. <laughs> I find that funny. I do. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. At the same time, Blizzard's corporate turmoil during the development of Diablo 4 made it the most dramatic story in the entertainment industry, a real-life mashup between the dysfunction of Apple TV's Mythic Quest and the intrigue of HBO's succession. After allegations of harassment and discrimination toward women in high-profile lawsuits, a massive employee walkout, and staff attrition, Blizzard fired Diablo 4's original leaders less than two years ago. I'll read you one more paragraph. Quote, Working on Diablo 4 was one of the most traumatizing game experiences of my life, said a former Blizzard, a former Blizzard employee tells this writer, speaking of the early years under the game's first director and lead designer. Compare that quote to this one from Naz Hartunian, a producer who joined the team in August 2021. Quote, I've been treated with nothing but utmost, the utmost respect, and everybody has been an absolute joy to work with. It just goes on from here. It's long. So if you want to dig into this thing, it'll be in the show notes. I haven't finished reading it yet, but I figure that gives you a start. PC Gamer wrote this seven days ago. It's an article titled, Our Apologies to Every Other Diablo 4 Class, But Sorcerers Are the Fan Favorite, written by Tyler Culp. How many of you are playing Sorcerers out there? I haven't done it yet. A friend of mine did. Seems to be having fun with it. I'll read you a little bit of this. Less than a week into Diablo 4's full release, sorcerers have taken the lead as the most popular class. Perhaps it's the giant fire snake they can wrap around groups of enemies, or the bliss of teleporting in and out of the frame. Sorcerers are one of Diablo 4's OG classes, all the way back to 1996's Diablo 1, so it's not particularly surprising that everyone wants to play them. These element-bending spellcasters have one of the most creative skill trees in Blizzard's new action RP 
RPG. Their most effective builds make use of every school of magic in their arsenal, and the enchantment slot system lets you equip spells for a passive benefit on top of everything else. If you want a class that paints the screen with fire, lightning, and ice, the sorcerer is the perfect class to play. As far as their power in Diablo 4's most brutal dungeons and open-world activities, they fall a little behind the other four classes. Barbarians and druids struggle in the early parts of the game where melee classes lack the damage output and positional benefits of a ranged class, but they eventually evolve into the most devastating classes for the game's endgame grind. Sorcerers, however, fall off in utility and power as they near the level 100 cap. It goes on from here. But everybody loves the sorcerers, apparently. Maxwell has an article posted on June 14, just a couple days ago. Diablo 4 Week 1 News Recap, Community Highlights, and Maxwell Updates. Here's a little bit about that. Part of it is, they. I'm just gonna, there's a lot in here, so I'm just gonna hit the highlights as much as I can. They also released the D4 Planner yesterday, so everyone can go make their own builds and share them with the community on Maxwell's public database. We've recently updated our tier list to better reflect the recent changes and plan to do this on a regular basis, since the game is often changing in its early days. And here's some more that's going on. Diablo 4 Global Launch and Reception. Since the early access period, it's been clear that Diablo 4 has been well-received by longtime fans and newcomers alike. Reigning in high scores across a vast array of review sites and organizations. The game is shaping up to be one of the most popular and highly rated launches in recent memory. There are a lot of reasons why Diablo 4 is getting such great feedback and why the future for the game looks amazing. Solid Foundation. The game has unmatched graphics and audio throughout. The campaign has proven to be an amazing journey filled with some of the best cinematic scenes we've ever seen in a video game. Blizzard has always been known for their ability to deliver on these metrics and they haven't disappointed. Another thing they always get right is the smooth fluid gameplay across all classes Classes, helps you to be effective while playing your character. When you hit or cast a spell, you can almost feel it, and the efforts on the screen make everything look so real. At the end of the day, the core foundation of the game is solid, which is a key first step to becoming an amazing game. Said there was a smooth launch. Uh, launches for this game, games of this size always go just how we expect them to, terribly. However, Blizzard had other plans for Diablo 4. The vast majority of users were able to log in right away during early access and global launch. Unfortunately, I'm skipping ahead here. PlayStation players weren't as lucky. Massive login issues were present for them early, but at the end of the day, they all got in there and started pl- di- started slaying demons with the rest of us. There's marketing going on, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. If you got the beta wolf pup, there's a picture of it here. Um, I'm going to try, and like next time I play, I'm going to... I put it on my barb. I don't know if it can go on all the classes, but maybe you only get one. I'm not sure, but basically... You know, it's a little wolf puppy that sleeps in a backpack on your back as you run through hell and kill things. It's great. Let's see. There's updates and patches in here. Community highlights. Okay, this is probably the most interesting thing in here. Um, So this is some things that had happened. Rob2628, first softcore player to reach level 100. Anyone who knows Rob already knew that he would get there first. The man is unstoppable when it comes to grinding and seeps efficiency out of every pore. Karn, first hardcore player to reach level 100, blasting with a solid group. Karn, Nugen, Zizara, and Steel Mage were all able to get there very quickly. And Wudijo, first solo self-found hardcore player to reach level 100, coming just behind many other players playing in groups. Wudijo made impressive time on his solo climb. There's more in here if you want to check it out. There's also a Bone Spirit Necromancer endgame build guide 
uh, updated on June 12th by MacroBioBoy. So if you want to play the Necromancer, this is an optimized thing here, and you can just follow through and make all these choices the same as he's suggesting. I am not currently playing a Necromancer, so I can't really... I have no idea. I'm sure he's doing good things, because Maxwell always does really interesting things. So if that's if that's the class you desperately want to play, or you've been playing and feel like it's not living up to your expectations, maybe check this out, find something new, and uh, go kill some more demons. PC Gamer has a title of an article written by Tyler Culp. Diablo 4's scariest boss has caused 2% of all player deaths. It is, of course, the Butcher. <laughs> it really is. Um, it starts with, this article starts with, Raise your hand if the Butcher slaughtered you in Diablo 4. Me too, and according to a recent infographic from Blizzard, there are millions of us. In the first week after Diablo 4's launch, including early access, 5.8 million players have been ripped apart by one of Diablo's most iconic bosses. The Butcher will show up at any time in any dungeon and chase you down until you or someone in your party dies. And because enemy difficulty scales to your level, the big guy is always a threat. Out of the total player deaths in Diablo 4, minus PvP deaths, the Butcher is responsible for 1.8% of them. He's no Uber Lilith, but he's a close second in the tier list of threatening boss fights in Diablo 4. I'll just read you this paragraph, because I lived through this as well. The Butcher has been farming players since Diablo 1 in 1997. You can hear him growl fresh meat in every main Diablo game except Diablo 2. He hasn't changed much in those 26 years since his debut. In Diablo 4, he can send out a chain hook and pull you close to him, and he can charge into you for massive damage. He's particularly adept at crushing ranged classes like sorcerers, which Blizzard's stats also reveal as the most popular class in the game. Hardcore players who take on the risk of losing their character permanently on death can earn a special achievement for defeating him. And it just kind of goes on from there, but that's just kind of a thing. Billboard has an article. I wouldn't normally bring in something that's mostly about music and that type of stuff, but Billboard here has a thing that absolutely relates to Diablo 4. It is titled Behind the Scenes of Hazley and Suga's Lilith Video. BTS rapper reveals how he'll kill time on tour. And I think the video's in here somewhere if you want to look at it. It's, um, it's called Diablo 4 Anthem. Hazley is dressed as Lilith to some degree. I, it certainly looks like that's what she's doing. It's a song going on and then they're both kind of singing at different parts. I don't know how else to explain it, but there's a video in the Billboard article that's a Vivo video. It's it's on YouTube if you want to check it out. I think I've watched it a couple times by now. It's kind of interesting. So it's such an interesting take on just like, okay, we have this cool game and we want a song about it. And so these two made a song and... There's another video of the making of the music video, so if you're into that kind of stuff, you can see the behind the scenes of it. I think that's kind of neat. There was also a Diablo 4 campfire chat thing that is an hour and 48 minutes long, and I haven't actually looked at it yet because it's an hour and 48 minutes long. Some of you may have seen it. It was released um, apparently 11 hours ago from the time I'm recording this, so if you have any further questions about what's going on with Diablo 4, you may find it in there. I don't know for sure. I can tell you that um, the description on the 
the YouTube video. It says, grab your favorite fiery beverage and join Diablo General Manager Rod Ferguson, Game Director Joe Shelley, Associate Production Director Tiffany Watt, and Associate Director of Community Adam Fletcher on June 16 at 11 a.m. PDT. The team will, dis- will detail our successful launch, feedback we've received th- from the community, and what's on the horizon for Diablo 4. I might watch this later. I didn't have time before I started the show here, but it's there if you want to check it out. You may have seen little pieces or information spread about it on Twitter, say, or other sites. And that's really all I have for today. I think it's kind of exciting to be able to talk about a Blizzard game and not have to talk so much about some of the nastier things that have happened at Activision and Blizzard, and I don't know what's going to happen with the FTC thing. Nobody's going to know until some judge makes an opinion on it, and who knows how long it'll take to go through the courts. But in the meantime, we can still play Diablo 4. If you're into it, I know some people are kind of like underwhelmed by by it. Uh, switched classes to try another class and it didn't work well for them for some reason. But uh, maybe the patches will change. You know, maybe they'll like buff some things again. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. But that's all I've got for now. And I'm going to close the show. You have been listening to episode 415 of The Shattered Soulstone your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You could also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. <laughs>